0: Hi, welcome to the theory of the postdoc evolution. I am Alice Dubois from the Postdoctoral Development Center of Queen's University, Belfast. And in this podcast, we explore elements of the postdoc life, as well as potential careers that postdocs can aspire to. Today, our guest is Chris Brown, Research Policy Manager here at Queen's. Thanks, Chris, for coming, and welcome to the podcast. So, Chris, you've got a background in politics with a degree in law and a master's in management and public services policy. You first worked as a parliamentary researcher at the House of Commons before moving to Queen's and you first started as the executive assistant to the director of research enterprise and then worked all the way up to research policy manager and now you're mainly managing uh, the university's submission to REF. Um, So first I propose we're going to talk a little bit about REF, the Research Excellence Framework, uh, especially what it means for postdocs, and then we'll discuss what you do as a Research Policy Manager and finish by looking quickly at other Fs uh, like TEF and KEF. Does that sound good?
1: Yeah, sounds good.
0: All right. So REF, as I said, is the research excellence framework. And any postdoc who's been doing research in the UK for a little while will have heard about it, but they may not really uh, understand exactly what it is, especially uh, they only only know that it just drives their PI's a bit crazy. Um, But especially from my case, I know that international postdocs like... Would never have heard about REF, and it would be a big mystery. Uh, so you're going to help us clarify a bit what it is. So first, in in a nutshell, what is REF and what it's used for?
1: So so REF, the, the Research Excellence Framework, it's the UK system for assessing the quality of uh, publicly funded um, research. So that's used for free uh, purposes. So the primary and the most important um, aspect of that is the distribution of QR funding, quality related funding. So um, those internationally and even those within the UK might not be aware that the UK has a sort of dual support system for funding research. Um, So uh, everybody will be aware of what we have through the research councils, for example, the Medical Research Council and some of the charities such as the Wellcome Trust, which provide funding for research on the basis of grant applications um, uh, and, that, and that is a competitive process where individuals propose their research ideas uh, for funding around particular themes. The, the, the other strand of that is quality-related funding, and that's provided to institutions um, to support basic uh, science within, uh, within each university um, and allows them to take a sort of long-term strategic view um, of their investment in research. Um, uh, that quality-related funding also uh, funds the overheads from research grants. So. Uh, When you get a research council grant, that normally only covers about 76% of what it actually costs to do the work. So, for example, keeping the lights on, paying for the administrative support and so on. So primarily, that's what it's used for, distributing quality-related funding to institutions. Um, But over time, it's sort of evolved. uh, And now um, the higher education media and universities use it a lot as a sort of benchmarking tool. Um, It provides sort of reputational yardsticks for universities to understand how their quality of research relates to other institutions uh, in the system and it also quite importantly provides public accountability of uh, uh, in terms of research in terms of the public funding that is put into uh, research in the UK. It's been used a bit in recent years then as a bit of a policy driver in the sort of uh, research ecosystem in the UK to push certain initiatives and certain priorities so one that a lot of people will be aware of is the impact agenda. So the introduction of impact to the REF in 2014, which I guess we can talk a little bit more about in detail in a minute. The REF has been used as a way to sort of make that uh, front and centre um, as a key policy um, initiative in the sector. And also the open access of publications and so on is, is one of the key sort of um, things that the that REF has pushed over the last few years.
0: Okay, so it's used to kind of almost grade the university and the research that they do. So what do they look at to rate the, the, the research?
1: So I think, first of all, it's, it, it's something that only takes place every six to seven years. Um, so it's not an annual thing. The results are used to distribute funding on an annual basis. But it's actually something that only comes across your desk as an academic every six to seven years. And it sort of ramps out throughout that period. Um. It's the, what REF assesses is also assessed on the basis of expert peer review by panels of academics. So those are senior academics within the sector, international users of research uh, or international academics, and then research users within the UK. So those, for example, from industry and so on. Um, so it's important to sort of stress that, I think, in the, in the first instance. It looks at three specific things in assessing research quality. Um, so the first of those is research outputs. So these are your journal articles, your published conference proceedings, books and monographs and so on. And that takes and that's weighted as 60% of the assessment. So that's the, the main chunk of what REF looks at is, is research outputs. Um, it requires that every academic who's involved in the REF contributes at least one to the exercise and up to five outputs each. Um, it also looks at research impact. So those are case studies, uh, examples of impact arising from research undertaken at the university during the period. Um, so what is the wider social, cultural uh, and economic impact of uh, research taking place in your unit? Um, and then and that's weighted as 25 percent of the assessment. So that's a big increase from last time where the case studies themselves were worth only 16% of the assessment. And finally, uh, 15% of the weighting and the grade is awarded uh, to assessment of the research environment. So this is a, uh, a statement that the university produces for each of its sort of academic disciplines, outlining what is, what is headlined as the vitality and sustainability of research in the unit. So the type of things that looks at are the uh, universe, are the, 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 the disciplines approach, Uh, to uh, research strategy, to impact strategy, uh, to how it supports people at all levels in the academic ecosystem. So from PhD students right up to your sort of senior professors and readers, how do you ensure people are supported to deliver uh, and and, and realise the potential of their research? What are our approaches to equality and diversity, the types of facilities, infrastructure and equipment that we provide? Um, That's primarily crafted as a sort of narrative statement uh, looking at the unit as a whole. So in terms of what it actually looks at, the only bit that directly affects every individual is the assessment of the research outputs. Individuals will probably contribute to the environment by providing information and maybe one of the selected few who are providing one of those examples of impact. But the bit that directly affects individuals is, is the assessment of outputs.
0: Yes. So you mentioned a few times the word "unit" here. Yes. So uh, all those outputs and impact cases are returned uh, or submitted to the ref as unit of assessments. Um, can you tell us a bit how, uh, like, what they are and how researchers belong to one or uh, another one of them? Are they auto- do they automatically belong to a unit of assessment based on their school or is it a different mm-hmm. uh, system?
1: So, uh, yes, uh, REF assessment, it doesn't assess universities. It assesses the research taking place in specific disciplines. And as you say, they're called units of assessment in the REF. Um, so those are broadly structured as, for example, clinical medicine, psychology, agriculture and food science, chemistry, physics. What we would understand is quite broad academic disciplines. And um, the university will then on the basis of the type of research that is it's doing, uh, choose which of those 34 units of assessment to make submissions to. So Queen's is quite a broad-based uh, research-intensive institution which submits 25 of those uh, 34 units of assessments, whereas you'll find other more specialist institutions that may only submit to certain arts subjects, for example, so we'll make uh, a smaller submission to the REF. So what we're actually doing at Queen's is making 25 individual submissions uh, to the REF exercise, in terms of how people are distributed and allocated to those units of assessment, it's not academic uh, or it's, it's not automatic. It is, um, it's, it's, it's in the gift of the university to choose which staff or return to which units of assessment. Um, the units of assessment don't necessarily directly map onto schools or in the more sort of technical uh, admin side of things, HESA cost centres, which the sector uses to structure research uh, and, and, and teaching activities. So it may well be that your research is uh, based in a particular school, for example, uh, the School of Nursing and Midwifery, but you may actually be involved more in work that relates to the uh, unit of assessment for social work and social policy. So there's almost a bit of a sort of uh, judgment to take around uh, the nature of the research you're doing, the type of work you're involved in and where it best fits. It's, it's certainly not automatically mapped onto a particular school and I think that's important because it allows individuals to explore different avenues and different sort of uh, future directions uh, for their research.
0: So, you mentioned outputs is going to be uh, the thing that's going to impact the individual the most. Um, so, they're rated in a star system, uh, and Bosox probably heard a lot about the three-star and four-star papers, that would be the goal. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about that and how Who decides if a paper is three or four stars or two stars? Uh, How does this work? Is it linked to any metrics that people are uh, aware of?
1: Okay, so um, what actually happens in the REF uh, is that each individual unit of assessment at an institution, so let's take, for example, public health at Queen's, uh, is required to submit a total number of research outputs published during the REF period. So that's the seven years leading up. So for this next REF, it's the period 2014 to 2021. Um, those, uh, those those outputs um, are the total required is calculated as the current full time equivalent staff number in the unit. So the amount of people employed on the basis of the sort of fractional contracts and so on. So say, for example, there's 20 people employed in public health. Uh, the calculation for the total outputs required is made as 2.5 times that uh, number of staff employed. So that would be 50 outputs required for the unit Uh, to be submitted Um, there has to be at least a minimum of one from each research active member of staff in the unit uh, and no more than a max than a maximum of five uh, per individual what happens is those outputs uh, when they're submitted by the university at the ref submission date uh, at the end of 2020 will uh, go to those expert panels i mentioned um, of senior academics internationals and research users and they will read each of those outputs and assign them grades on the basis uh, of the REF grading system. And as you say, that is from four-star uh, for, the, for, for the sort of highest quality research down to uh, one-star uh, for the sort of uh, research that is mainly sort of leading nationally in the discipline but not of international quality uh, and also an unclassified for grade for pieces of work that are maybe seen as ineligible, haven't met the basic criteria and so on. So there's obviously... Uh, a big focus on universities achieving the highest grade, uh, which is four-star. The panels uh, do make that judgment on the basis of expert peer review. So while there are uh, criteria and guidance documents and so on, what we're really using there is the expertise of those individuals on the panels, their experience in the sector, their understanding of the research in different areas. Um, In terms of those grades, it's really important to note that actually uh, four star work, obviously being the top grade is even more important when it comes down to the allocation of the QR funding I mentioned at the start. so uh, only four star and free star work is uh, is seen as fundable uh, and therefore um, leads to funding coming back to the university um, and within that four star work is rated four times uh, heavier than free star work, so the type of uh, the amount of funding you get for a free star output. Uh, multiply that by four when it comes to a four-star piece of work. So there's a heavy premium and a big focus at universities on achieving as much four-star work as possible. Um, that that sort, of, uh, the, the sort of skewing of four-star work is even more significant than when you come to impact case studies. So if you imagine within the 60% attributed to the outputs, you have to return those 50 outputs for public health for the 20 members of staff you return, quite a difficult process obviously selecting 50 pieces of work out of the hundreds probably published over that period when it comes to impact case studies a unit with 20 people in it only requires it, is only required to submit three impact case studies so each of those is worth about you know seven and a half percent or 6.5 percent or whatever it is um so in the final assessment if you don't get above uh, two stars, so three star four star for your impact case study that's 6.5 percent of your final assessment which is not fundable uh, and obviously the, as I say the REF takes place every six to seven years so that sticks with you throughout the period uh, the funding allocation is done on an annual basis but you can't change the results until the next exercise so that sort of explains a little bit why universities take the REF so seriously and put such importance on it as we get closer to the submission date.
0: Yeah, so about papers, it's really about the quality before the quantity mm-hmm. uh, for the PIs at least, for the postdocs sometimes, maybe because of the pressure to, have, to publish a lot uh, for career progression. It might go a bit against that, but I guess if you want to keep working in academia, you'll need those kind of three, four-star papers on your CV to, to be seen in a way as a uh, high quality uh, researchers Um, in terms of the impact you stress out there that how important they are even if it's if it seems to be all 20 25 percent it's actually quite a lot Um, how is impact measured what would be the advice to someone who's preparing uh, preparing a new project they need to, to to take that into account and to Put into ways to waste, measure their impact to be able to write those case studies in the end. So,
1: so um, the the sort of concept of impact in in academic research, um, in terms of the the sort of measurable aspect of, we talk about it in the REF, um, is obviously relatively new. But impact is something that has always happened. I mean, it's any innovation that arises from research um, that, that that gets out into the public is 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 impact and there's very few innovations that haven't arisen from basic research taking place by academics and labs. If you look at things like the internet and nanotechnology and so on, all of that arises from research. So impact has always been there, but um, part of the impact agenda is to try and improve public understanding of how research contributes to innovation and contrib- cont- contributes to, to pushing sort of society and understanding of issues forward. Um, the, uh, the impact in the REF is assessed uh, on the quite simple criteria. It's based on the reach and significance of the impact that is taking place. So the basic requirement is that it needs to have arisen from research that took place in that unit, in that university, um, and the impact itself needs to have taken place in the seven year ref period. What it looks at is basically the reach of the impact. So has it uh, reached its intended audience uh, and the significance of the impact? How deep has the impact itself being the effect on that particular sector or that particular audience being. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that international impact with a massive reach is necessarily uh, more valuable than local impact. Um, It all depends on how you define your audience uh, and how you define the community that you're working within. So it may well be that you had a piece of work where you set out to uh, drastically change a global health problem, and you did manage to have uh, an impact on a small community or at a national level, you haven't actually achieved the reach that you set out to do. On the other hand, if you looked at a small rural community you were working within um, and looking at a particular public health concern, and there's maybe 500 people there, and you have actually managed to eradicate that problem or, or, or solve the issues for those 500 people, that's when we're talking about four-star impact. It is defining the problem, defining the, the, the type of impact that you wanted to have, and then looking at how significant uh, the final impact was itself.
0: Okay, Um, so we've talked a lot about the REF already, but one thing we've not uh, mentioned is, can postdocs actually return and submit their work for the REF?
1: So the REF, it assesses uh, research undertaken by what are terms Category A eligible staff in the sector. So that's quite obviously a technical term. But what it wants to look at is the research arising from individuals employed as full academics, Um, the individuals that hold the research funding that are PIs and projects and so on and are initiating new projects. It doesn't intend to look at individuals who are employed normally on research-only contracts, so those such as uh, research assistants, PDRAs, postdocs. Um, Those individuals are normally seen as working as part of somebody else's research group Uh, not necessarily uh, leading the work uh, and are normally working under the direction of somebody else. Um, So what REF uh, looks at in terms of an eligible researcher is somebody employed on what is termed as a research and teaching contract. So a full academic, i.e. a lecturer, senior lecturer, professor, reader. Um, It would say that most research-only staff are not engaged in what REF describes as independent research uh, and therefore... If we look at Queen's, for example, we have about 700 staff employed in research-only contracts, most of whom you would term as postdocs or contract research staff. Uh, they would not be seen as uh, conducting independent research in, 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 the sort of, in, in, the, in the sort of REF world. Now, in practice, obviously, we know that all of those people are engaged in independent research. All of those individuals are coming up with their own ideas They've all mostly achieved a PhD, for example, and that is an example of independent research. But um, the REF needs to use some kind of filter to ensure it is measuring uh, outcomes from the publicly funded research that it intends to do. So the, uh, the, the, the barometer that it uses and the, and the eligibility is around this idea of research independence. And that is defined as um, whether an individual is a PI on an externally funded grant or equivalent to a PI on that grant if they're holding an independent uh, an externally funded competitive fellowship. Uh, so, for example, um, a, uh, a Leverhulme independent fellowship. Um, and finally, if they are leading a research group or a substantive sort of package of work. There's a couple of extra criteria for people engaged in the arts, humanities and social sciences. Um, so it could be in those uh, disciplines, which have slightly different nature to some of the sciences, uh, that the individual is the co on the grant or has had uh, what they uh, describe as significant input into the research um, but broadly it is whether you are a PI or have an independent fellowship or are leading a research group um, and, and and that if you met those criteria you're therefore defined as research independent and eligible for the REF. Um, it's important to note that for this REF exercise uh, it now uh, requires that all universities submit all eligible staff. So, those uh, with some knowledge of REF 2014 may remember that even if you demonstrated research independence, your institution may have decided not to submit you uh, for various strategic reasons, um, mostly related to uh, the requirement to submit impact case studies, certain thresholds. Um, this time around, that has changed. If you meet that independence threshold, you are uh, you are to be included in the REF exercise, and with that comes the requirement to. Submit an output to the exercise at least one and contribute to the wider environment.
0: Okay, so like fellows, uh, as you said, independent fellows would be eligible. Um, is that something that Queens decide? How is it going to work for Queens specifically?
1: Um, so the process that Queens will conduct as a university um, is is led by your school. Uh, So the school, the head of school and the uh, academic lead for REF, which we call the REF champion in each unit of assessment, um, will sit down and they will look at a list of all staff employed in research only contracts in that unit. And in consultation with those individual staff and with their line managers, uh, they will make a determination as to whether they meet that basic threshold uh, for uh, for for being defined as research independent and being involved in the exercise Um, It's important to stress, though, that, you know, there is uh, a perception that there's a certain amount of prestige being involved and being submitted to the ref. Um, That is maybe a little bit of a misconception, because when you look at the uh, final submission and the results that are published, individuals aren't named, their outputs aren't linked to their name. So if there's a paper with, you know, 20 co-authors, it won't be clear. Who that was submitted against in the RAF exercise? So I think that somebody who's aiming to pursue an academic career, um, maybe jumping the gun a little bit by getting excited about getting involved in the RAF at an early stage, it will come, and uh, when you when it comes, you'll probably uh, you, you'll know all about it, and uh, it might be a little bit more um, stress that you want than you want at this point. I think that. For those who aren't defined as research independent, there are a few things that they should be thinking about though because REF is an important part of the research ecosystem. It is Uh, It is a part of the academic career, and I don't think it's going anywhere in the UK anytime soon, Um, uh, and I think there are good reasons for that. Uh, But the type of things that they should be thinking about are obviously their outputs. Now, because of the big premium put on four-star work, I think it's important to uh, look at the volume versus quality argument in terms of uh, publishing um, academic outputs. Um, So there has been an incentive in the past uh, where individuals required a higher number of outputs for the ref and through uh, some of the sort of um, uh, career pathways that universities encourage academics to follow, uh, that there's been an incentive to publish more and get as many outputs out there as you can, whereas uh, that's sort of seen as salami slicing of the quality that you could potentially achieve. And actually, uh, what people should be encouraged to do is put more time and thought and effort into achieving a stronger publication, stronger single publication in a higher quality journal, potentially. Be ambitious, aim for the the, the highest journals in your field. And if that doesn't work out, work your way down. That's the route to achieving four star uh, work. Uh, When you go to apply for jobs, when you go to interview at a new institution, They will ask you about your outputs. They will have REF in mind when they ask you about that. And if you can demonstrate the ability to publish in those top journals, uh, that will be of a significant advantage to you. I think with that in mind, though, it's also really important to stress that REF is by no means the end-all and be-all. It is not the most important part of your academic career, and it is not a process by which you will be producing any new research. What's really important to think about are the other things, seeking out uh, funding, uh, working with external partners to develop your impact, uh, looking at ways to contribute to the wider discipline, whether that's being part of a society or a disciplinary body or being involved as a peer reviewer for a journal, um, and looking at ways to get involved in your institution through administrative responsibilities, uh, such as, uh, and I think this would be maybe more for senior people, but, but being the RAF champion, being the director of research, uh, being involved in sort of management of uh, of teaching assessment and so on.
0: yeah, so fact like you said a lot of things very important and interesting here for the postdocs who are listening in terms of career progression when they're gonna go to interviewing, gonna apply for position. It's not anymore as much uh, about the number of papers, but the quality. Uh, and especially uh, if some of your papers have been returned as three or four stars uh, at REF, it's something that you can use at interview. Um, as we're talking about that um, in the next REF exercise, the outputs are now have now been deemed to be potable, meaning that a researchers changing uh, university can bring their papers uh, with them in, in some way, which uh, could give some leverage to someone applying for a lectureship position in a different university. Can you talk a little bit about this?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so what's actually happened is that um, the, uh, the REF exercise has adopted this sort of hybrid approach to the uh, portability of your academic outputs. So it actually was the case in the last REF exercise that you could take your outputs with you to an institution. The institution at which you published that work couldn't submit it. So as they were developing the framework for REF 2021, there was a conversation within the sector as to where the credit should lie uh, for, uh, for for work that is published um, and submitted to the exercise. Should that be with the institution where the individual was employed when it was published? Who have. Uh, arguably made an investment in that individual uh, or should that go with the individual because it is it is their ideas it's their work and its concepts and and, and things that they have come up with Um, and if they're employed a new institution should they be able to take it with them what was agreed was a hybrid approach now we're not sure exactly what this will look like in future but the hybrid approach is that you can both take the output with you but your previous institution can also submit it. So the key aspect of that is for an early career researcher that when you go to apply for a job, your uh, ref outputs, if you have high-quality work uh, in your pocket, can act as a sort of form of currency uh, in the interview process and so on. Um, obviously, it's important that your institution can then uh, retain that uh, and, 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 and reflect the work that has taken place within, the, within their units during the exercise. I think there is a genuine conversation going on about this in the sector. However, there has been some discussion about making outputs non portable for the next REF exercise, which would mean that they stay with the institution where it was published. Um, there are a few problems with that, obviously, particularly for early career uh, researchers. The reason that they've looked at implementing that is there is a perception that there was a bit of a transfer market that emerged in the last REF exercise. So if you can imagine you can take your top quality work with you to an institution, there was obviously maybe all a, a perception that there was a lot of movement just before the submission date. So you would go to an institution and you would try and recruit their best researchers in order to bring their four-star work to your institution. I think in practice, I don't know if that happened quite as much as people um, perceive it did, um, but th- there is a conversation to be had there about that. And I think it's something that postdocs and early career researchers should pay close attention to is the, is, the, is the regulations for the next REF exercise. But certainly for this exercise, when you have published a Queen's and you perhaps looking at jobs at other institutions, you can take that work with you.
0: What happens when a paper uh, comes out of a collaboration? Who kind of returns the paper to revisit the first author, last author? Is there rules around that?
1: Um, There are some rules around that, um, but uh, there are a couple of core things to sort of remember. So one is that any particular uh, paper, any particular output, can only be submitted once uh, by an individual within a particular unit at an institution. So for example, if it's published in Public Health at Queen's, only one person can submit that. Or have that attributed to their name uh, in the exercise. Um, If there are co offers in the unit, um, they would be required to submit other work. It's really important to say, though, that outputs in the ref are submitted at unit level. So we're really just ensuring that everybody has contributed something. But actually, we look at those 40 outputs, they are the uh, the sort of accumulation of work over the period. Um, Different outputs, uh, if there are uh, collaborators at different institutions, that output can be submitted. By another institution uh, in the UK, so uh, Queen's of Manchester collaborating on something, both can submit that to the public health panel. Um, there may also be instances within Queen's where there are co-authors on papers across multiple disciplines. So somebody uh, working within clinical medicine or public health may be working with a partner in uh, engineering, for example, which we know of, or pharmacy. Um, they can submit those within the institution to those separate units, but it can only be submitted once within an academic discipline. Where there are more than 15 co-offers on a paper, you kind of have to describe what your contribution was. So there's a requirement to add 100 words to just make clear that you were you know, uh, significantly involved in the, in the production of the paper um, and didn't sort of maybe just add a few ideas at the start or the end. Um, that's normally quite an easy bar to sort of reach and, and, and explain, but it's just a, a little bit of a sort of a check by the, by the ref on the process.
0: OK, so is there anything you would like to add on REF?
1: I think it's just it's important for people to remember that, you know, whilst the REF is important, um, there is a perception that it's quite a daunting exercise. There's a perception that it's very administratively burdensome on individuals and institutions and that it was associated with a real uh, morale issues in the sector in 2014. And it's important to stress that you know it has changed a lot for F 2021. They have made um, significant sort of amendments to the to the guidance and criteria, and um, that essentially uh, make the exercise more inclusive. So everybody has to be returned if they meet the eligibility. Um, there is no uh, sort of uh, issues with those people being excluded uh, and that affecting their career progression. Um, there's more flexibility in the exercise. So you only are required to contribute a single output rather than four, as it was in 2014, which recognises the sort of diversity of research careers and the different types of things that you can be involved in. Uh, The REF tended to just reward those people in the past who were uh, publishing lots of high-quality academic work, whereas now it recognises more that people may, during that seven-year period, be more involved in impact activities or indeed teaching activities and may not have had quite as high an academic output. Um there's a view that maybe, you know, we should get rid of the REF, maybe it, it, it distorts priorities and all in the sector. I would sort of warn against that. And I would encourage academics to actually be supportive of the REF, because um, I would imagine that if we lost the exercise, probably one, we would continue to have some type of uh, quality assessments of research, probably led by institutions. Um, but also um, I'd be concerned about the effect that that might have on the distribution of quality related funding. And the amount of it available and um, you've got to sort of think about what is the sort of uh, lesser of two evils here does that quality related funding get subsumed into the wider research councils and potentially uh sort of concentrated in the largest most research intensive institutions um or do we want to continue to ensure that that is there to support the basic research that leads to those big innovations that the research councils uh, might support so i think um Go into the ref uh with 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 your eyes open and a clear mind and and, and maybe uh try to make your own assessment of of, of what you think its value is
0: yeah. I think that's a very good point to make. Um, we're going to move on to talk a little bit about your job now. Uh, we know that there's a lot of postdocs who now move to careers in the field of researcher support. Uh, and as a research policy manager, you help researchers with the ref uh, and you coordinate the university's submission. Uh, so while you personally reach this position via a slightly different path, uh, this is the type of job that a postdoc could technically uh, be applying for and be competitive for. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what you do and what your job is about in general?
1: So uh, these days, um, as you say, my job is almost exclusively ref. And I guess as we get closer to the submission date, um, we're about 18 months out from it now. A lot of my day is taken up with uh, working with individual academics um, to uh, sort out some of the uh, minor eligibility issues or whether a particular output will be submitted um, or working with them on uh, along with colleagues on their impact case studies and environment statements and so on so that 's almost exclusively what I do now. Well, what I do is I work within a wider team. So it's the research policy team and the research and enterprise director. Um, and uh, over the sort of ref period, I guess, the seven years, you know, it's not as much of a priority at the early stages. So I've been involved in a lot of other activities over that time, uh, which includes uh, developing and implementing the university's research strategy, uh, which includes sort of managing uh, some of our sort of core committees and developing policy to address particular problems that we see in the research ecosystem at Queen's. As a team, what we do, uh, apart from ref, is is a number of things. So one is that sort of Uh, looking at the strategic priorities and and, and designing initiatives such as the Global Research Institute that we have now. Um, We also have a component where we focus on research information management and data analysis. What that involves is is individuals within our team uh, who do uh, a lot of the reporting around uh, the university's performance in research uh, and knowledge exchange activities. Um, And then we have an impact team, so we have a faculty-facing officers who focus on impact and yes, part of that is the development of impact case studies for the REF, but Uh, critically I think more importantly and they look at the wider culture of impact they look at embedding that across um, the the academic work at Queen's uh, looking at wider public engagement activities and how we can ensure that uh, not only are our academics thinking about how they can engage with the public with industry with uh, community and voluntary sector but also uh, how we can make sure that what we do is visible uh, to all those sectors and so on so It's a diverse and varied range of activity. As a wider director, we we work with people from all stages, whether that is developing grant applications right up to uh, spinning out companies and licensing out technologies that have been developed at the university.
0: Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And there's, as you say, it's kind of shaping where the research is what research at the university is going to become uh, and helping, supporting the, the researchers with the whole process. Uh, so that's things that postdocs uh, can understand uh, and help do well. Um, kind of little questions that I ask most guests uh, uh, when we talk about careers. What is it that you like about your job? And, and the other way, what is kind of tough... Um,
1: Um, I think that, well, I mean, it's very simple. What I like about the job is that you're working with, you know, uh, academics, you're working with people, uh, particularly on the research side of things, who are developing new and innovative ideas that are genuinely passionate about affecting the world around them. And I think that that's something that is particularly evident at Queen's. Um, People have a real connection to this place. They have a connection to, you know, Belfast and the wider region in Northern Ireland. Um, and, uh, and, and, And I think working in close proximity to those people, is inspirational, and if you can feel that you're helping to make their lives even a little bit easier when it comes to the likes of the ref, uh, if we're taking some of that dreaded administrative burden off their hands and giving them more time to focus on that thing, that type of thing, um, that's that that's really important. So, so crucially, it is just working within science and with researchers that is is, is what I enjoy about it. In terms of what you don't enjoy about it, I guess you know uh, we would always say maybe some of the sort of bureaucracy and administrative burden that comes with it, but I mean. That's our role. We're there to absorb that. We do create some of it, but um, I can can really uh, stress to academics we try to do that as little as possible. Some of the frustration, I think, when it comes to the likes of the ref has been Um, the uncertainty over the last seven years as to what uh, the final rules were going to look like. So all these types of things that we talked about, the portability of outputs, the importance of impact, that's only really been clarified in the last 12 months or so. So we're kind of operating under this sort of uh, cloud of uncertainty. We couldn't give our academics clear answers and that sort of wider uh, confusion in the sector has probably been a frustration. But actually, it is a really enjoyable job and a very interesting and diverse range of things to be involved in
0: yeah and I guess the bureaucracy uh you can't really avoid it. Mm-hmm. every job is gonna have an administrative part, it's, and it's usually yeah. what comes out of and it's important, yeah what...
1: <laughs> it's important to say that you know bureaucracy is necessary but it's 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 the it's the unnecessary added levels of it that we can sometimes add that uh, are a problem,
0: yeah, but everybody is the same, so we want to get rid of it freshly yeah. um so very good and in terms of uh types of profile of people we would actually enjoy this uh, job and in terms of skills what would you advise if you have like a a postdoc who's interested in moving towards a role a bit like you what should they focus on?
1: So um, I think first of all I mean we have a lot of people within our wider directorate and even within that research policy team who come from a postdoctoral background come from an academic background I think out of an office of 12 there's about seven or eight of us that have PhDs I'm not one of the PhD ones but uh, there's seven (laughs) of eight of us have, have PhDs so it is a it is a very common route to come from that academic background into these types of research support roles I think what is really useful for those people um uh, uh, moving into those types of roles is that they can bring uh, a really strong understanding of the actual academic experience, what it means to do research on the ground and uh, and, and some of the um, frustrations that, that come with dealing with funding uh, challenges, dealing with the likes of the ref and so on um, I think the key qualities that we would tend to look for in somebody and um, somebody who um, is able to understand and manage a diverse range of priorities somebody who's good at problem solving who has a actually really importantly um, a good sense of customer service you know the academics are ultimately our customers that we are there to uh, make their lives a- easier and provide a service for them so having a strong understanding of that is that you're there to provide a service to provide support obviously to add value where you can and um, but you know that that would we're technically described in Queens as a professional support service, um, so I think people, yeah, as they say, problem-solving ability to uh, understand a diverse range of issues, um, to uh, keep the ear to the ground in the institution about what's happening, uh, and be able to uh, understand um, the sort of wider research ecosystem beyond maybe the background that they come from and the different and the different uh, issues that arise in different disciplines uh, that that we have at Queens.
0: Yeah. So. Very good. Thank you. Uh, I think it's, as you say, it, there's quite a lot of people who choose that, that route of research support. And in a way, I'm kind of one of them, a bit mm-hmm. uh, away from the, the strategy itself and more on the daily support. But it's very enjoyable. And I think the the type of uh, qualities and skill that you develop as a researcher are definitely uh, relevant to those types of roles. Um, so, well, uh, we've seen that you're an expert in the research policy. And Research policy in the UK and the way the universities are assessed is constantly evolving. Uh, you mentioned that REF itself uh, has been has seen some changing since the previous exercise, but now we also kind of see new little exercise kind of appearing from everywhere. Um, From uh, my biomedical uh, research background, it kind of reminds me of uh, the multiplication of the ohms, uh, which, you know, you started to hear about genome and all of a sudden you were surrounded by the proteome and the transcriptome and secretome and metabolome or whatever, uh, name anyone you want. Um, Here, it's almost like we're witnessing the multiplication of the Fs. Um, So... Can you talk to us a little bit about TEF, for example? What is that about?
1: So um, so I guess, yeah, when you're referring to, there's now basically uh, the sort of free legs to the sort of assessment um, stool in the UK. There's there's the REF, which you have talked about. There's the TEF, which is the Teaching Excellence Framework. And then there is the uh, upcoming CAF which is the Knowledge Exchange uh, Framework. Um, it's important to note that none of these in and of themselves are necessarily as significant or uh, as sort of um, wide-ranging as the REF is right now they may well become that uh, eventually and um, the TEF for example uh, is only an English initiative so other universities in the UK can be involved now in if they want to. Uh, Queen's has chosen not to as it's not directly relevant to us. What the teaching excellence framework looks at is like quite a diverse range and this is not something I'm directly involved in but it looks at a diverse range of measures of, uh, of, of of teaching excellence, but also student experience, uh, employability prospects and so on, uh, and tries to ensure that students are getting the best quality return on the investment they make as a, a, a taking up a course at a university. Um, the outcomes of the TEF uh, will be quite significant in the future. So what is actually uh, awarded there is a sort of a, a different levels of award institutions, there's a gold, bronze, uh, and a sort of gold, silver, and bronze award, and then there 's a provisional award for those who haven 't quite met that level and the u k or the English uh, funding system is going to eventually use that um, as a, as a sort of um, a permission for institutions to raise their tuition fees so if you have a gold or silver award you 'll be allowed to raise tuition fees by a certain amount now there 's a wider review of fees and teaching funding in the u k at the moment. Uh, so we'll see what happens around that. But that was the original intention behind the TEF, the KEF, the knowledge exchange uh, framework that looks at the sort of wider economic uh, impact of universities um, on uh, not just particular examples of impact that we talked about under the REF, but really as a sort of um, as, as broader metrics. Uh, how have you contributed to regional development in your area? Uh, what has been your contribution to the economy in terms of uh, licensing, in terms of the amount of patents uh, that you have uh, initiated at your institution? Um, it's something that's closely linked to uh, the, the high funding, so Higher Education Innovation Fund, which is kind of the equivalent of the QR funding uh, for uh, for sort of knowledge exchange activities, um, and I think ultimately the UK government wants to use the knowledge exchange framework as a way of assessing that. One of the things that come up a lot is is this not just replicating impact as part of uh, uh, which is part of the REF is the knowledge exchange framework not just the, exactly the same thing. I think the, um, the the distinction that they've tried to make there is to say that impact case studies and that impact element of the REF. Is, is what's crucial there is the R in REF, it's research, it is impact arising from research that has taken place within that institution. The knowledge exchange framework on a much wider basis looks at the economic contribution of the institution, not just in relation to research, but also teaching, uh, public engagement, continuing professional development, uh, and so on, um, and it will allow institutions to sort of better understand how they actually uh, fit within the wider UK system. I think as an example... Queen's actually outperforms the number of its peers uh, per head of population on a lot of those knowledge exchange uh, metrics. So I think it's something that the university will be keen to, to make sure the funding bodies get it right and measure the right things because it will show that we're actually quite strong in that particular area.
0: All right. So, thank you very much, uh, Chris, for all those details. Uh, For our listeners, you've probably noticed this is slightly longer than what we usually do, but uh, it's a very important topic, and most of you uh, want to stay and work in academia. And you know, to play the game, you need to know the rules. Uh, And so, Chris, I think you've clarified a lot uh, of those rules and a lot of of, uh, everything related to REF and uh, quality-related assessment uh, and quality-related funding today. So thank you very much uh, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure, uh, as I say, it's going to be much clearer for all our listeners now. Uh, And you guys, thank you all for listening. And please don't forget to give us some feedback either on iTunes or on the podcast. Uh, web page that you can find on the PDC uh, website. So, this was the theory of the postdoc evolution. Bye bye!